Well, good morning. Welcome back to week three in our sermon series, What is Worship? Today we're going to be looking in the book of Romans, and today's message is titled, A Living Sacrifice. One of the biggest subjects in the Bible is the subject of sacrifice. And there are two words that I want us to begin looking at today. The first is the word expiation, and the second is the word propitiation. Both words have to do with God's sacrificial system. The word expiation means to cover sin or to cleanse it. And it reflects the idea that the negative and humiliating effects of our sin are removed through the grace of God. Another word that we're probably more familiar with for expiation is the word atonement. Propitiation is the appeasement or satisfaction specifically towards God. It's a two-part act that involves appeasing the wrath of the offended person and then being reconciled to this person. Our sin is first and foremost against God. Because of sin, we are in desperate need of reconciliation with Him. We see in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, God gives the command for each of the Israelite households to sacrifice a lamb once a year in remembrance of God saving them out of Egypt. It was called the Lamb of the Passover. And in this sacrifice, the notion of sin is presumed. The idea of substitution and rescue from divine judgment is necessary. And blood, the blood of the lamb, is what is done. By this sacrifice, a spotless lamb whose blood was properly applied to each household, they would then escape the death of God's judgment. God gave more instruction on the sacrificial system in the book of Leviticus. Throughout this book, we see the word sin in phrases like, if anyone sins or for sin. We also see throughout the book the requirement that sacrifices be made for a confession of sin. Guilt offerings and sin offerings were required And it's here that we see the vocabulary of atonement and forgiveness. On the Day of Atonement, the priests were required to lay their hands upon the heads of live goats and confess all of the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And this symbolic action was to signify the transference of sin from the people to the animal. And the animal would bear Israel's iniquities. And then the killing of the animal signified the divine judgment that that sin deserved. This idea is the idea of deliverance by substitution. Forgiveness is secured by a substitutional sacrifice. Our sin has so stained us that it leaves us in desperate need of cleansing. All of us, every one of us has sinned. Romans 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin's stain is so bad that it requires a punishment. In Romans 6.23, the first part of it says, For the wages of sin is death. 
But the good news is in the next part. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Our holy God has provided the only true, perfect, spotless Lamb in Christ Jesus. And He provided Him for us. The Old Testament sacrificial system points to Christ. And it has been screaming of the Messiah from the beginning. The New Testament speaks a lot about the death of Christ. And it uses sacrificial terms. Jesus and the New Testament writers use phrases like, Give my life as a ransom. Ransom in His blood. By His blood. The blood of His cross. The blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Reconciled by His blood. Justified by His blood. Propitiation by His blood. Through the death of His cross. And on and on and on I could go. Jesus' death was sacrificial. Propitiation, expiation, ransom, redemption, forgiveness, reconciliation. These are all works accomplished by Christ on the cross. Jesus was obedient to the Father by offering Himself to God on the cross in our place. Bearing our sin and the judgment that it deserved. And in doing so, he satisfied God's just demand against us, freeing us from all sin, and most importantly, reconciling us with God. And the Old Testament sacrificial system symbolized that the Lord Jesus actually accomplished, symbolized what he actually accomplished. Christ is our living sacrifice. And unlike all of the animals who died as sacrifices in the Old Testament, our Savior rose again from death, forever defeating death. And He now sits at the right hand of the Father as the living sacrifice. What better reason do we have to worship than the salvation of our Lord? We love Him because He first loved us. This is the proper response of worship. We worship in spirit and truth with our hearts and with our minds. Christ, our living sacrifice. And our response should be to become living sacrifices ourselves. So that's where we're going to be headed. Go ahead and take out your Bibles and your note sheets. Let's read our passage for today and then we'll pray. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12. Actually, we're going to start just a couple of verses before 12. We'll be in 11.33, and we'll read through Romans 12.2. Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments, and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Romans 12.1 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. 
Lord God Almighty, how unsearchable are your judgments and inscrutable your ways. Oh Lord, give us wisdom so that we may know you better. Lord, by your Spirit, we ask that that you would show us how to be living sacrifices. And we ask that our minds would be transformed. May you help us to discern your will. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So the Apostle Paul starts chapter 12 by pointing back to the first 11 chapters. This therefore points us back to everything that's come before it. In these 11 chapters, Paul has told us how all people are guilty. All of us are sinners headed towards the wrath of God. But the sinners are declared righteous before God through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. He explained that that justification is by faith in Christ alone. And so here he begins with this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul is calling for a response to the glories of God, in which we have just heard about in the last couple verses in chapter 11. The goal of a life that has been brought back from the dead, a born-again person, is to worship, to praise, and to have joy in Him. Paul says here that a saved person should be a transformed person. So number one in your outline, you already have it, is live like a follower of Christ. Let's look at verse one again. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. These two verses here are two of the most quoted verses in all of the Bible. And Paul gives a very strong summary of what the Christian life should look like. So I've given you three sub-points in your outline today. The first one there, A, is to live a grateful life. Live a grateful life. Verse 1 calls for us to, as followers of Christ to be totally devoted to God by the mercies of God. This is the reason for why we should be fully devoted. Followers of Christ don't live for God in hopes of receiving something from Him. We live for God because we are grateful for what He's already given to us. Salvation has already been given. It is received when you accept the free gift and become a follower of Christ. We don't work to earn our salvation. We don't work to keep it either. The work is already finished. Christ's work on the cross is what accomplished it. And Paul is pleading here with his fellow followers of Christ. He's pleading, exhorting, he's imploring them, follow me, follow Christ. It's a simple appeal. And it's simple to live for God, uh, an appeal to live for God. And it's sufficient for those who have been justified by faith. This is the call to all believers. However, those who haven't yet given their lives to Christ cannot be living sacrifices. Romans 8.8 says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Only a child of God, and only by being a child of God, can you present your body as holy and acceptable. 
You can only do this because of Jesus Christ. So my question today is, is that you? Have you seen your sinfulness? Have you seen that you cannot save yourself? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you and rose from the dead? If not, then I say that today is the day. I urge you to receive God's grace and mercy. You must receive God's mercy before you can present your body to Him. He loves you and He wants to give you this free gift of salvation. The word mercy is a one word summary of the first 11 books or chapters of Romans. Those who repent of their sin and run to the cross receive God's mercy. How great is the mercy of God! Here he uses the plural form, by the mercies of God. Many other religions make sacrifice the root of mercy, but Christianity makes it the flower. We live for God as Christians in gratitude for mercy. As we sang earlier, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. All right, number, sub point number two. We live a grateful life, and second way, is we live a devoted life. We live a devoted life. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. The key word here is present. It's a technical term for offering a sacrifice to God. I'm not as much of a grammar guy as I'd like to be, but the grammar here indicates a decisive once-for-all act. Christ offered His body as a once-for-all sacrifice for us. So in response, we should offer ours to Him. We are to offer all that we are to God. In chapter 6 of Romans, verse 13, Paul said this. He said, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, there were two kinds of sacrifices that the priests would make. One was a sacrifice for atonement, and the other was a sacrifice of thanksgiving. In praise to God, we present our bodies as a sacrifice to God. This is the difference that Jesus makes. In the Old Testament, worshipers brought a sacrifice to be sacrificed. However, in the New Testament, the worshipers are to become a sacrifice themselves, a living sacrifice. The Old Testament, the sacrifices were not considered a sacrifice until they were dead. But now God says that we can be a sacrifice and still be alive. He wants us to vote all that we have to a life of service to Him. Jesus chose to be obedient to the Father on the cross. He could have called down a legion of angels to save him, to protect him, but he didn't. And so we as his followers have to decide also to be obedient. This is what it means to be a living sacrifice, to lay down all that we are for Christ. This is what it means to be holy. 
We are holy because Christ is holy. Holy means to be separate, to be set apart. A holy sacrifice that has been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And it is continually cleansed by the power of God's Word. Look at Psalm 119 verse 9. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your Word. By devoting ourselves daily to the reading of God's Word, we guard our hearts. And the Word continually cleanses us. Okay, we leave a grateful life. A devoted life. And the third way we live like a follower of Christ is to live a worshipful life. To live a worshipful life. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The word spiritual can be translated reasonable or logical. It's sort of hard to grasp. There's the meaning that's intended here. It's spiritual, reasonable, logical, but they, they all three are true. The life of a follower of Christ must be logical. The Living Bible Translation paraphrases this verse by saying, when you think of what He's done for you, is this too much to ask? This word worship also has a, an interesting meaning compared to the rest of the words in the New Testament. This particular word worship here has the, the meaning service. Living a life of sacrifice, holy and acceptable, is your logical service your spiritual service, your reasonable service. Hebrews 13, 15, and 16 says, Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I was thinking this week how blessed we are, how many people we had here this week serving, sharing themselves with the children that came and all those that helped behind the scenes, bringing stuff, setting stuff up. It's a massive project. This is, again, the way that we serve. The follower of Christ lives a life of worship with lips that praise and hands that serve. All right. So number one was we live like a follower of Christ. And number two in your outline is think like a follower of Christ. Look at verse two. Do not be formed, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's a big key here in verse two that makes verse one possible. As followers of Christ, verse 1 can seem impossible if we don't read verse 2. How do we do verse 1? By renewing our mind. And that's the first sub-point here in, in point number 2. Renew your mind. We need a different worldview. The world thinks differently than the Christian does. Paul urges us to stop being conformed to the world. Instead, he says, be transformed formed by the renewal of your mind. Be a living sacrifice for God, 
this does not mean that we stop thinking, but it requires that we change the way that we think. Our minds must be renewed. We are in a battlefield, not a playground. The follower of Christ has three enemies of the soul, our own flesh, the devil, and the world. And Paul warns of the third. He says, the key threat to seeking to live a life as a follower of Christ, he says the key threat is the world. We live in a world that ignores God. We live in a culture that hates Him. We must let God lead our thinking. Billy Graham said this. He said, most of all, let the Word of God fill you and renew your mind every day. When your mind is on Christ, Satan has little room to maneuver. So renew your minds, Paul says. This is a key, a very key theme in most of his writings. Look, Look with me at several passages. He says this in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Look what he said in Colossians 3, verses 2 and 3. He says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then a few verses later in Colossians 3, 9 and 10, he says this, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Philippians 4, 8, he says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And lastly, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, he says, So we do not lose heart, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul calls for a killing of our old self. This is serious. He's calling for death. Why? Because they are the former manner of life. The old is corrupt, warped, filled with wrong desires. I read this story this week about a man who had a six-foot boa constrictor. He was always showing it off to his friends and his neighbors, and one day while he was showing it off, the snake suddenly tightened relentlessly around his neck And within seconds, he was dead. His pet became his killer within seconds. So often, this is how we treat sin. We think, ah, I can play with it for just a little bit. It's not mastering me. I can master it. We cannot master our sins. And Paul calls for a drastic killing of them. This is sanctification. This is the process of being made holy, becoming more like Christ. Put off the old. Put off the sin. Put on the new. 
Fill your mind with the things of above. Have the mind of Christ. Put on His virtues. All right, B, discern God's will. Look again with me at Romans eleven thirty three through 34. Paul says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Paul says this, and then a few verses later here in, in verse 2 of chapter 12, he says, You may discern what is the will of God. He says early that it's impossible to grasp or understand the mind of God, but then he says that we will learn it. The more we learn about who God is, the more we will realize how much more there is to learn. We will never learn everything about him. That's how big he is. We will spend eternity learning about who he is. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 3. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. God's will is for us to become more and more like Christ. In the very next chapter, 1 Thessalonians 5, he says this in verses 16 through 18. He says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will is for you to rejoice always. Not every now and then, but always. God's will is for you to pray constantly, persistently about everything. God's will is for you to give thanks in the midst of anything, no matter how tough it is. Some of us are trying to discern what God's will is in our lives. But you cannot make up your mind until you change your mind. When you change the way that you think by the Spirit of God and by His Word, you will be able to test and approve that the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. There's a key here too. These three terms, good, acceptable, and perfect, do not mean that God has three different wills. God has one will, and that will is good, acceptable, and perfect. It's a godly goodness, a godly acceptableness, a godly perfection. When you can go to God and pray and say a prayer like this, Lord, I, I don't like this very much, but if it makes you happy, then Lord, I will do it. May your will be done. This is God's will for us. We are prideful, and it's hard for us to admit sometimes that we would like our will to be done, not his. And that's why I think that in the next part of chapter 12, Paul goes on to talk about the gifts of grace. But look with me real quick at verse 3. He talks about our tendencies. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul knows himself and he knows us. We are easily able to slip back into 
thinking that we are too highly, that we know how to do it. But I implore us to seek Christ. Seek the mind of Christ. Think of the things from above. For from Him and to Him are all things. Let's pray. Father, You are so good to us. You created us in Your image. You created us to love and to worship You. Father, we messed it up, and now we are broken images of You. But You, God, are amazing, God. Even though we broke this perfect relationship with You, You, Lord, made a way for us to be with You. You made a way for it all to be right. You sent Your holy and perfect Son, full of grace and truth, to become our sacrifice. Jesus became our sacrifice on the cross. He took upon Himself our sins. He took the wrath that they deserved. He died the death that we deserved. Lord, You gave us the perfect spotless Lamb who was slain for us. And Lord, three days later, He rose from the dead, a living sacrifice. Oh, Father, You are a God of mercy and grace, and we just seek to worship You in spirit and truth. May we present our lives and our bodies to You as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable in service to You. And the work that You have for us, Lord. Father, transform our minds so that we can discern Your will. Make us more and more like Your Son every day. Let us seek these things that are above. Let us fill our hearts with the good things from above. Let us have the mind of Christ. Let us seek Him. It's in His holy name that we pray. Amen.